Keep your Bibles out, Romans chapter 9. Uh, Our passage for this morning really is Romans 9 from verse 30 all the way through to the end of chapter 11. Uh, So during the week I messaged Joe and I said, is it okay if I preach my first ever two hour long sermon? Um, Joe said no. So uh, we're going to... You can get the second half later if you you really... uh, Look, so we're not really going to touch on chapter 11, just so you know. It's a really, really interesting chapter. So please, take the time this week, read through it. It's just, it's going to raise questions and that's fantastic. Good to think about and to work hard at. But this whole section from Romans 9 to 11 is all about the rejection of Israel. The rejection of Israel by God and the rejection of the gospel by Israel. Now, if you like, last week in the first part of chapter 9, we kind of saw the divine reasons for this. That is, God is the one who sovereignly chooses his people and he chooses it solely according to his mercy and he chooses them solely for his glory. Now, this week, what we're looking at is, in one sense, you could say the human reasons as to why it is that Israel was rejected as we see the two basic ways of trying to find righteousness. Now, as we've considered the rejection of Israel, we've then in turn been able to find, work out the basic principles of rejection and acceptance within God's plans and purposes so that we can apply them broader. This isn't just about Israel. This is about everyone, everyone in our lives, everyone around us. And I want to tell you now, there's a pretty stark warning in this passage. It's not a warning for people out there, it's a warning for us in here. And there's also a commission. So if you came to church today hoping to go home the same as you arrived, then today's going to be a bad day for you, I'm sorry. Let's pray. Father, we ask please as we get into your word now that uh, that you would humble our hearts, you would humble us before you uh, to hear, to listen, to accept, to submit to you and to your righteousness Father, please uh, take away from us the dangers that this passage speaks of and instead place us firmly in the hands of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, Now, I hope you've got a handout on the way in. If you're a note taker, by all means, go for that. There are two basic ways to try and achieve righteousness, to try and be right before God. And it's all about a rock. It's all about a stone and what do you do with it. There you go, you might not have been expecting that one. Verse 33 of chapter 9. See, God says, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. It's all about a rock. How you respond to this stone will determine whether you stumble and fall and do not achieve righteousness, or whether, by God's grace and power, you will never be put to shame. It's spelt out for us in the couple of verses preceding it. In fact, this this little bit, you could almost say, is the summary of the rest of chapter 10. So you get this bit, you'll be okay. Verse 30, as Paul picks up the argument, what shall we say? That the Gentiles, who didn't pursue righteousness, have obtained it. A righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? 
because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Two basic ways. You can have it by faith or you can try and get it by works and fail. Okay, that's it. That's chapter 10. You've got it. Well, let's go and get into the explanation. There's a lot of good stuff in here. And let's talk first about Israel. Let's talk first about this attempt to achieve righteousness through law by works. See, Israel, even though they had all of God's teachings and God's word and the prophets and all the rest of it, what they tried to do was make their own way, create their own path, make their own stairway to heaven. All right, chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, Paul says, as he shows us his heart, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. I can testify about them. They are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they didn't know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You see what Israel did? They sought to establish their own righteousness. They tried to make their own way. They ended up creating their own set of laws and rules and regulations, even in the midst of trying to obey the law that God had given them. I think the NIV is a little bit unhelpful for us here, verse, the start of verse 3. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, it makes it sound like they're wandering around blindly, they're lost in the darkness. They don't know how to find the righteousness of God and so they tried and it didn't turn out to be quite good enough. I don't see why they've translated that. Really it is ignoring, ignoring the righteousness that comes from God. They knew it. They had the law, they had the prophets, they had the patriarchs, they had the promises, they had creation itself declaring the wonder and might of God. They knew it. But they would not submit to God's righteousness. They sought to establish their own. And notice who. We're talking about Israel here. Verse 2, those who are zealous for God. They didn't do this out of indifference. They weren't some people who were faraway pagans and had no idea about God or anything like that. They, these were God's people, zealous for God. And yet it was zeal without knowledge that left them trying to make their own way. Passionate, dedicated, but misguided. It's almost kind of the religion of our age, to be honest, sincerity. As long as you are honest to yourself, as long as you are sincere to yourself, as long as you truly, deeply believe it, well, then it's okay, right? You, you, you can do whatever it is that you want to do as long as you genuinely want. Hypocrisy is the great sin. But it is possible to be sincere, utterly, completely sincere and wrong. Utterly and completely wrong. Now don't get me wrong, being a hypocrite is just as bad to pretend to be something you're not. But sincerity, while it is good, is insufficient. You ever come across somebody who believes that the earth is flat? You ever come across someone who actually believes that? Look, I, I haven't come across somebody in the flesh that holds to that belief, but I, in the darker corners of the internet, I have found people 
who will argue, assuming uh, until they're blue in the face, I can't actually see their faces, but that the world is flat, that it's a disc. I, I haven't met anyone yet who believes that it's on the back of four elephants on the back of a turtle. That was Terry Pratchett. But and in order to believe this, they hold that all the photos that we see of the world taken from space, they're all fake. They've all been doctored, right? Photoshopped in to make look like it. Uh, you've got to believe that the moon landing was, was all a big hoax. Pretty sure Joe believes that, actually. But anyway, let's not go there. Uh, that all the governments of the world are part of this enormous conspiracy. For I don't really know why they care, but that the world is flat. They sincerely believe it. Genuinely. I, I, f I found an article just this week about a guy, medical doctor, who got convinced of it and now his wife is freaking out because he's a complete lunatic about this stuff. In case you're confused, the world is round. Okay, It's not flat. It's mostly round. It's a little bit squashed at the ends and a little bit fatter in the middle. But it's certainly not flat. You can be zealous, sincere and wrong. There are many people who are zealous for God. Like, like really, really on fire. Seriously passionate in the things, the lengths that they will go to for God. I've known people who will crawl on their knees for kilometres, carrying a statue on their back, thinking that somehow this will earn them a blessing from God. I've known people who said that unless you light a candle when you pray, God will not hear you. Because unless the candle is there, there's nothing to take your prayers up to God. I've known people say that we have to pray to saints because God is too busy to hear us. And so we've got to go and find somebody who's not quite so busy and we pray to them and then they'll get a leg in and talk to God for us. They believe it passionately but completely misguided. I've known people in church, thankfully not this church, at least not yet, who've said to me, look, as long as you're full on for God, as long as you're fired up, as long as you're passionate, as long as your heart is in there, it doesn't really matter if, if, if you get this doctrine stuff right or not. That's kind of by the by. These people were the people of God, Israel, zealous for God and yet they ignored his righteousness and tried to establish their own. And you know what the problem is when you try and make your own righteousness, when you try and obey somehow by works? The problem is that if you're going to do it, you've got to do it all. Right? Verse 5, Moses points out the problem. He describes it this way, the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. And you think, brilliant, that's what I want. I want to do these things and live by them. Except that if you're going to do these things, you've got to do all the things. It's the argument from Galatians 3, if you want to look it up. If you fail at just one point, you've failed at all. The penalty for sin is death. And so you break the law, you are now a sinner. You're under death. There's no way to wipe the slate clean. You're done. Israel stumbled on the rock. They tried to lift it. They tried to pick it up over and over again and make themselves good by doing that. 
They pursued a law of righteousness by works and failed. When really what they should have done, instead of trying to lift the rock, was sit on it. Entrusted themselves to it. Put their faith into this rock. Their faith into this one who is Jesus. See, the second way to seek to achieve the righteousness of God is to do nothing. Kind of strange, isn't it? See, this isn't a righteousness that you can somehow earn. We can do lots of things that we get better at. You can go and swim and get better at swimming. You can go play squash and get better at squash. You can eat and get better at eating. Actually, I don't know we need practice at that one. But anyway, there are lots of things that you can do and get better at. There is no, nothing that you can do to get better at righteousness before God. It is only, as we saw last week, God's mercy. And you can't earn mercy. You can't force somebody to be merciful to you. There is nothing you can do that will make them owe you mercy. If they owe it to you, it's a wage, not mercy. No, Christ is the end of the law. He fulfilled the law. He did it so that those who entrust themselves to him might receive the reward of life. That is what is required to achieve the righteousness of God. Submit, humbly accept what God holds out. Three-year-olds have a very specific view of the world. Uh, They've got a very precise catch cry. Anyone know what it is that three-year-olds say? Oh, it's not fair. I think that's a four-year-old, Andrew. Three-year-olds, I can do it. I can do it. That's our three-year-old. She's only a month into three and you should see, I can buckle myself in. I can wipe my own bottom. I don't kind of mind that one. You can do it. Uh, I can get myself dressed. I can do it. Even when she blatantly can't. Right? Socks on ears and pants back to front. But you just, but no, I can do it. And so many of us never get past three. When it comes to God and his righteousness, I can do it. Whereas what it requires is for us to say, I can't. And to entrust ourselves to Jesus. It is a righteousness that comes by faith. And it is a righteousness that is not hard. It's not difficult. In fact, it's easy. Jesus has done it all. That's the point of the quotes in verses 6 and 7. It's a little bit kind of perhaps confusing. But the righteousness by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down or who will descend into the deep to bring Christ up from the dead. You don't have to do the things that Jesus has already done. You don't have to go into heaven and somehow find Christ and bring him down. You don't have to go into the deeps and pay for sin and be raised again because Jesus already has. Rather, the righteousness that is by faith says this, the word is near you. It is a word to be taken hold of. It's in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the word that brings the righteousness of God himself. 
Israel stumbled. They tried to work. The Gentiles who weren't even looking for righteousness, God came to them and said, trust. And they did. Came to them and said, confess that Jesus is Lord. And they did. Believe that God raised him from the dead. And they did. I tell you, these aren't magic words. Please don't write them on a little card, put them in your pocket and just say, when I'm about to die, I'll pull it out. Jesus is Lord. Hooray, I'm in heaven. This is from the heart. It's from inside that what comes out. A declaration of the true belief, understanding, submission to God's righteousness. Turn to him and listen to this promise in verse 11. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what it takes. To be able to say with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is the one whom God raised from the dead for my sin. Now, by the way, as an aside, you can go look this up later if you like, Joel chapter 2, as we had it read, which is where verse 13 is quoted from, have a look and see who it's talking about. Whose is the name that we are supposed to call on? You'll see that it's Lord, all in capitals, which means that it's Yahweh, it's the name of God himself. So interesting then that in Romans 10, Jesus is the name we call on. Now, if you ever want the J-dubs, and, and they don't know this one, that's a good one, right? Jesus is Lord. Well, hang on. Jesus is God is what it means to say Jesus is Lord. Yes, he's master. But he himself is the one who comes with deliverance. So here's the warning. Please don't be zealously wrong. Please don't be zealously wrong. Don't be so caught up sincerely from the depths of your heart in pursuing your own way, in trying somehow to make your own path to God, in ignoring His righteousness rather than submitting to it and trying to establish your own. Please don't do that. Israel did. And chapter 11 is all about how what happened to them was like the branches of a tree being broken off and thrown away. And if it happened to them, Paul says, what makes you think that it won't happen to you who are unnatural branches grafted in? Stay in God's kindness. Submit to God's righteousness. What we need is not to be doing, is not to be working our way into heaven. What we need is the word of the gospel that is near. It's right there. That is the word that we need to hold fast to, to believe, to obey to confess, to proclaim. That is how God is at work in the world. The proclamation of this word. That is how God saves. That is how God shows his mercy to those who are his. This word, Jesus is Lord, raised from the dead, that is the word that as it goes out, saves. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's the chain in verses 14 to 15. How can they call on the one they haven't believed in? 
You can't confess Jesus is Lord and God if you don't believe in him. How can they believe in the one they haven't heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let me think about your story for a moment. Your Christian story. I take it if you're a Christian and you're here, this is your confession. Jesus is my Lord and God. God raised him from the dead that I might live. How is it that you can confess that? I take it you believe, right? And you believe because somebody spoke it to you. In my life, that was my parents. Uh, From a very young age, God sent them into our family. And they spoke of this Jesus every day. Such that I believed. And now I confess Jesus is my Lord and God. God raised him from the dead that I might have life. I take it somebody spoke that word into your life. That's why we send missionaries. That's why we've sent Amy to the other side of the world. So we've sent Adam to the other side of Campbelltown, right? We send them out into all sorts of places that they might go and speak of this Jesus. Because if they don't speak it, how are the people there going to hear it? If they don't hear it, they can't believe. If they don't believe, they're not going to confess. But to be honest with you, the missionaries, the preachers, the pastors, the, the 2 or 3% of us that we send out into this kind of ministry, that's not enough. Don't get scared by the word preach. Don't get scared by that word. It's not about being able to come up the front and, and, and prattle on for however long. Just replace it with the word speak. Unless you speak of this Jesus that you know. You know what? Here now, today, I say to you, go. Go. I mean, not, not right now, let me finish what I'm saying, but... Go. You have now been sent. No taxis, backsies, no returns. You've been sent. So you need to go and speak of this Jesus that you know. The one who is your Lord and your God. The one who Jesus, well, the one who God raised from the dead that you might have life. You need to go and speak. Do you have beautiful feet? I don't. I haven't yet met somebody who really likes feet. Anyone really like feet? Actually, you don't have to wind up to that. It's okay. Right, feet, like, a bit square, a bit big. The nails are a bit manky. They smell a bit at the end of the day. You know, you just feet aren't that nice, are they? There must be someone somewhere in the world. There's foot models apparently, so they must have nice feet. But but how beautiful are the feet of the people who come bringing news of salvation? You can speak those words, can't you? Jesus is my Lord and God. You you can say that. They're not hard words to say, are they? They might be a bit awkward. The person you say them to might think you're a bit strange. But you can say them. God raised Jesus from the dead. So I don't fear anymore. You can say those words. They're not hard words. am 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 I wrong? These are very easy, simple words to speak. These are the words you can speak. Speak of the Jesus you know. 
And I'll tell you what, as you go out and as you speak these words, there are those who will hear and some of them will believe and they will join in confessing with you, Jesus is my Lord and God too. And gee, that's an exciting day when it happens. But the flip side is also true. Because if you and I don't go, and if we don't speak, then how how's your family going to hear? How are your friends going to hear? How, how are your acquaintances going to hear? How's the bus driver going to hear? How, how's your barista going to hear? How's your mortgage broker going to hear? And if they don't hear, how do you expect them to believe? And if they don't believe, they're not going to confess. Go. But go knowing that some won't respond. That's the rest of the chapter. There's quotes from the Old Testament. Israel heard, Israel understood, and still some of them didn't respond. So go knowing that. Go knowing that as you speak of the Jesus you know, some will, they they will all hear. They'll understand. It's not a hard message. But because of hard hearts, because of their desire to ignore the righteousness of God and pursue their own, because of a desire to be disobedient and obstinate, because they don't want to, they will not believe and they will not confess. But that can't stop you from preaching. Because if you don't speak it, then none of them will hear it and not one of them will be saved. There are two ways to live. Well, there are two ways to pursue righteousness. You can try go your own way. You can try and work it out and you will stumble and you will fall. So please, please hear the word of the gospel. It is near. It is right there. It is the word of faith that says to you, entrust your life to Jesus that you might believe from in here and it will burst forth with declaration that Jesus is my Lord and God. And please... Having been sent, go. Go and speak that God's people, God's sheep might be found and brought home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your astonishing grace and kindness and mercy. The stone that you placed in Zion that caused even Israel to stumble has been revealed as your son Jesus. Father, teach us to submit to your righteousness, to humbly accept that which we cannot do and Jesus has done for us. Keep far, far, far away from us the danger of ever pursuing our own righteousness. And Father, fill our hearts with the desire, the longing, the pain to go and speak to proclaim Jesus, our Lord and Master, our God and our Saviour, that many who hear would believe and join us in that confession. Amen. We are going to sing.